Good morning, Regeneration. Um, I think uh, all of us who have children at home are getting used to this virtual learning or homeschooling. Uh, it has been uh, interesting to realize how very little I remember. Do, do any of you remember geometry? Um, I, I remember very, very little. I mean, that was over 30 years ago for me. And my oldest daughter, she's, she's just really bright and she's really competitive. So naturally, um, since I took geometry my freshman year in high school, she wanted to take it while she's in middle school. So um, to be honest, she's actually better at it than I, I, I was. And when I look at her work, these memories just start flooding in just like it is for many of you as you're homeschooling your children at home during this shelter in place, you just start remembering things. So one of these things that I just started remembering was that uh, when she presented these geometric proofs to me, and I just, I never even thought about proofs ever in my life after geometry class. And then all of a sudden, 30 years later, I'm looking at proofs again. Um, again, I remember very little about proofs. Now, maybe I need to remind you also, because it's been so long for you, but, but geometric proofs are these statements followed by the reasons we know that those statements are true. And so then it clicked for me as I was studying for 1 John in that 1 John is actually providing us proofs. That there are these statements, these truths in the Bible followed by reasons we know that the statements are true. Truth found in the Bible to verify whether what a teacher teaches is true or false, to, to verify whether their teaching, their doctrine is true or false. And so 1 John gives us the truth of what a Christian is. Last week, we, we looked at verses 18 through 27, where John pointed out these lies that identify the Antichrist and the truths of continually abiding in Christ as a, as a believer in Christ. There are these reasons, there are these evidences behind the truth. There is a life lived, a, a heart, a mind, a spirit that, that gives reason behind the truth. And John gives us a glimpse of these proofs, these truths in today's verses. And we'll take a look at five of these proofs this morning and in, in these five verses that we're going to be digging in a little bit today. First, I'd like to point out the beginning of all of this, where it started. It's, it started in our birth. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. It reads, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We're at the end of chapter 2, and it's not until this very point where John brings up spiritual birth. But from this point on, John brings up this spiritual birth quite often. The spiritual birth is used as these truth statements, as well as reasons for the proof that we are born again. So let's first take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It reads this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's the proof. That's the truth statement. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That's the reason. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. That's the truth. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is, of, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The reasoning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another. Proof. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The reason. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Proof. Because God is love. The reason. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us the proof that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The reason. Geometry, right, right there, right? It's geometry. A couple more. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Truth. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The reasoning behind it. The reasoning continues, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And here's the last one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, truth statement, but he who, who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him, the reasoning behind the statement. Until 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, John hasn't used that phrase, born of God or born of him. John described believers with different phrases like they know God or they know him. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, that's what he uses there, know God. Describing people who are in the light in verses, for, in verses 9 through 10 in 1 John chapter 2, John used the phrase, abide in you, abide in him, to describe believers in 1 John chapter 2 again, verses 24, 27, 28. Here is where believers are first introduced as born of God by John in his letter but this idea of being born of God, of being children of God, isn't anything new at all. The relationship of being born of God or children of God is one that we are very familiar with since it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And here's just one example of many, many examples. Here in Isaiah 64, verse 8, it reads this. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so the picture of God as father to his people. And so how do we become children of God? It's only through God who gives life to those who are dead. God, through his spirit, through his word, gives us life. Without Jesus, there is no hope of a spiritual life. The only way to move from spiritual death to spiritual life is by God. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Who was Nicodemus? Someone who was a morally upstanding citizen. Very, very well respected in his community. He is a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee who believed, who practiced all that Orthodox Judaism would require of him. And if anyone had this 
religious house in order or his moral life in order, he would be a great example. But he recognized something about Jesus and he was missing something. He knew intellectually that the world was still missing Messiah at this time. And he knew the scriptures well enough to know that Messiah had not arrived. Now, being the person that Nicodemus was at that moment, would that have been enough for him to be a child of God? What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Continuing on in verse 3, John chapter 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you can't see when you're dead. The spiritually dead can't see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus answers this with verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So without God, you can't see the kingdom of God and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The only way to move from blindness to sight, from death to life, is with God who can raise the dead to life. And so this is essentially Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus Christ brings the dead to life. So you and I don't convert anyone from unbelief to belief. This is all God. Our words don't have the power to convert. It's only by the Spirit working in our words that they have the power to convert the spiritually blind to receive sight, the spiritually dead, to be spiritually alive people. People are then able to see, are then able to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who are God's children are born of him. John chapter 3 again, let's continue with that in verses 6 through 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do, mar do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We all probably know of people who had once professed themselves to be Christians. Those that aren't anymore. People we grew up with, people we went to school with and we worked with them or we served in ministry with them. Why aren't they walking with Jesus anymore? They used to. They used to do all those Christian things. They used to behave, act, talk, think as Christians are supposed to do and they said all the Christian things to say and yet you look at their life now and they're nowhere close 
to God now. It is possible for people to act and think and say things like people who believe in Jesus without experiencing a rebirth by the Spirit. To do all the external things of a Christian without having this inward transformation by the Spirit who brings the dead to life, who allows the blind to see. Now, of course, those external actions of ours, those words, those thoughts, they're very important. But the most important everlasting change happens within when the Spirit of God transforms our lives. And I'm sure you've questioned people who know a lot about the Bible and who can say and believe the right things about the Bible and about God. But you question if they're really born again because the inside of them is just completely rotten. They're alive on the outside, but inside it sure seems like it's spiritually dead. And so the question for you this morning is, where are you with God this morning? Are you born again? If you are indeed spiritually alive, then you must have been born again. And when you are born, you're given a name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. See, once we were born again, we were given a name. We're called children of God. And notice that God is the one who initiated this relationship. Just as all of us who are parents, we initiated the relationship with our children. It's not like the children came knocking on mom's womb and saying like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Right? We, we, we're the ones that created that relationship. And it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that God initiated this love. God initiated us to be born again. It's not something that we earned or deserved. God chose to have us, to love us. He decided to love his children unconditionally, and we can't do anything to earn this love. So if you're thinking you have to do something to earn God's love, you don't. You already have it. God's love for you as a child is not based on some activity that you do. It's not based on anything else but his amazing grace, that he initiated this love. Now, it doesn't mean that as God's child that you can then just live like hell. Look back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It reads, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Practicing righteousness is the result of being born again, but it isn't the reason of being born again. Practicing righteousness is the effect, the outcome of being born again. It is not the effect. It's not the cause of being born again. Look at 29 again. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
Did you catch that? That's, that's past tense. Has been born of him. Practicing righteousness flows from God's purpose from our new birth. That practicing righteousness doesn't earn us this new birth. You know, when a baby is born, there, there's a resemblance to mom and dad at birth. When we are born again as children of God, there's a resemblance that proves the relationship and practicing righteousness is not what proves that we're a child of God. There are a lot of people who don't profess themselves to be Christians who, who practice righteousness even more than Christians. And it's, it's the same thing with this, with love. There are people who denounce Jesus who are really loving people. They don't know God. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this the love of God has made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Behavior and belief are on the same coin, but they're on different sides of that coin. And there are behaviors of practicing righteousness and love that people can have. But what many people miss out on are the beliefs it's the same coin, just a different side. And the beliefs behind our actions are very essential. And here is where the world has this so backwards. It's that it values behaviors over beliefs. So that practicing righteousness and love, they're all made on, on equal playing fields. Everything is equal. But it's not all equal. Not all righteousness is equal. Not all love is equal. Not all practices of righteousness are the same. Not all love is the same. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandments that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We will get really, really confused if we equate all practices of righteousness as the same. When we equate all love as the same, if we don't have belief. You're going to get really, really confused about this. Without resemblance to who we believe in, see, you have to be identified by who we identify with. So when people claim all righteousness is righteousness, all love is love, who or what is that righteousness or love based out of? Is it then righteousness itself? Is it then love itself? Because if it is of those things themselves, then aren't those things our gods? Then aren't those things our idols? And who's defining what righteousness and love are in the first place? If people are defining for themselves, then who made them God? See, our righteousness and our love 
are to resemble Jesus, who we believe. The belief and the practicing of righteousness, the belief and the love are on the same coin, just different sides. And so we are to resemble Jesus. We are to resemble God. He's who we are to resemble as his children. We don't do things to earn that favor. We already have been given it. We resemble who God is by our actions, our words, our thoughts, our intents, our beliefs. Showing that we are indeed part of his family. See, we can't cut all these pieces off and and leave belief out. And the only reason why the world doesn't know us is because it doesn't know God. First John chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Jesus was physically on this earth 2000 years ago. And so many people didn't know him to be God. So many people in the Bay Area passed Christians by. When's the last time that someone stopped you and asked, you're a child of God, aren't you? You are, aren't you? Now, maybe it happens to you, but it does not happen all that often for me. But maybe it does for you because you're more holy than I am. Maybe you have a halo or something. But it usually happens when you let people know you are a Christian, and then they say, Oh, I, I thought that there was something different about you. I, I, I wondered why you never cussed with us. I wonder why you never told dirty jokes. Or I wonder why you were like so kind to people. But they don't usually just say right out, you're a Christian, aren't you? Unless they're a fellow child of God that recognizes their siblings. And then they're, they kind of nudge you and like, are you a Christian? See, the world doesn't understand the relationship between God and his children. The world doesn't understand the spirit working in our lives. It doesn't understand the love the father has for us. The world attempts to level what righteousness is. It attempts to level what love is by saying it's all the same. It's all the same. And so then the world belittles truth by empowering people to hold to their own truth. Your truth. Have you heard that? Hey, you know what? Your truth can be a lie to someone else. But God's truth is truth to everyone, whether you like it or not. And it calls out what is truth and it calls out what is lie. But our world seems to encourage because it just flattens everything out and it makes everything equal that what is false in the name of embracing others truths when they are indeed false. When they are false truths according to God's word, but yet we elevate them to be a truth. The world doesn't know who true Christians are and they don't know God. As children of God, we have been born into the family. We have been given a name. We are called his children. We resemble God in our actions, in our speech, in the way we think, in the way we believe as our heavenly father does. Then Jesus describes our future as his children. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. Isn't this fascinating? What we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we don't know. 
We don't know. So when someone asks, what's it going to be like when we're together with God forever? Essentially, what's heaven going to be like? There is so much that we don't know, even though we are God's children. And it's simply because it hasn't happened yet, so we don't know. And I get this question quite often from people who have lost loved ones. And we have glimpses of what it will be like from books such as Revelation, but that's a lot of imagery that describes to the best of our limited human ability what that future will be like. Yet there's a lot we don't know about what it will be like in this life everlasting. But there are things that we do know, continuing on in verse 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. One thing we know is that Jesus will appear. When he appears, Jesus will return. He will reappear. Jesus Christ will come in great glory for us. And another thing we know is that we will see him as he is. That people of God can see the kingdom of God. And a third thing we know is that we will be like him. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 is a very, very familiar verse that that a lot of us quote to to be a a voice of encouragement. Verse 29, not so much. So I'm going to read both of these verses here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We know we will be with Jesus Christ and we will be like Jesus Christ. Those are some pretty awesome things to know. We know these things. Those are amazing things to know about our future as God's children. There's so much we don't know. But knowing will be with Jesus. Knowing we will be like Jesus. That's pretty wonderful. And if I didn't know all those other things, but I knew this. That I'm going to be with Jesus and I'm going to be like Jesus. That's good enough for me. As children of God, we've been given these proofs of this relationship. We have been born into this family. We have been named children of God. We, as children of God, resemble God in our actions, in our speech, in our belief, as the Heavenly Father does. And we know our future as God's children. Lastly, We have hope in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We hope in Jesus and in his return. Our hope in Jesus Christ and in his return purifies us as he is pure. John recorded for us Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 together. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. I'm going to take a pause here because I just want to express my gratitude that some of us are continuing to meet together even through this virtual world we're living in right now. That we get to meet together in our prayer time on Tuesday nights. We get to meet together in our worship nights on Thursday nights. The, the students get to meet together on Wednesday nights. Our home groups are meeting throughout the week, those who are still facilitating that. Let's not neglect meeting together. And continuing that verse there in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Whatever Jesus said, he's faithful to his words. Jesus said he will return. He will. He will be back. How do we hope in Jesus Christ and this promise of his return? Will it be through what we know? Will it be through doctrine? Will it be through theology like our eschatology, the study of the end times? No, it's none, none of those things. Look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It will be through our purity. This purification is continuous and it is for right here, and right now, you notice that word purifies in verse 3, that it's in the present tense. Our moral living is to be current and it's to be constant. Our ethical living is to be ongoing. If we claim the hope of Jesus Christ and his return while we're living in sinful disobedience, not putting God's word into practice, then we're living a lie. We're living in the dark. We have not seen. The proofs of those who have this hope of Jesus Christ and his return have been born into his family. They have been given a name as children of God. They resemble God in their actions, in their speech, in their belief as Jesus Christ does. We know our future as God's children. We are those who truly have hope in Jesus Christ. All of this culminated in abiding in God as his children. Turn backwards now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and it reads, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. When we truly abide in Christ, when he appears, we will be confident. We will have confidence. We will not shrink from him in shame upon his return. See, abiding isn't about being busy. 
with religious things. It's about being ready now in the present. Are you ready? Are you living in righteousness, love, purity right now? Not simply in the actions, but also in the belief. Are you obedient right now? Most of us are sheltering in place. A simple test for you to do is to ask those who you live with. Ask them if you are living in such a way. And if you live by yourself, you see how important it is to not neglect meeting together. To check in with others who you know and who can ask those challenging questions of you because they know who you are. We are to be ready. Jesus Christ can appear at any time. And when he returns, that's it. There's no more like uh, overtime. There won't be time for you to repent, for you to receive Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior at that time. The time is up. And so your time is now. And we are to be ready now. Those who abide in him now, you have nothing to worry about. You're ready. And you can have confidence. And and you don't have to shrink from him in shame at his coming because you have nothing to hide. It is pure. There's nothing to hide. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. But it means that nothing's hidden about you. You're transparent. You're confessing those things to God. You're working on those things. You are posturing yourself, your heart, your spirit, your soul, your mind towards the things of God. You're ready. Being ready doesn't mean you you got baptized or or you read the entire Bible. Even those those things, those things are, are really, really good. But the confidence isn't in some religious activity. The confidence we have is anchored in God's love. Take a look back at first John chapter three, verse one again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What are the proofs that we are children of God? We're born into his family. We've been given a name. We're called children of God. We resemble our father in that we, we act, we talk, we think, we believe as our Jesus Christ does. We know our future as God's children, that we will be with him and we will be like him. And we are those who have true hope. In Jesus Christ, we as children of God abide in him. Now, the reason for all of these proofs, communing with God, who is righteousness and who is love, epitomized, personified, forever with confidence and being unashamed, Are you a child of God this morning? If you're not, you're one of two things or a combination of these two things. One, you don't know how great a sinner you really are. And or two, 
you don't know how great a savior Jesus Christ really is. You wouldn't know you need a savior if you aren't convicted of your sin. And you wouldn't be convicted of your sin if you weren't prompted by the spirit of God. And it's not going to be my words or the words of another person that will convert you today. Only the spirit of God can do that. Only through Jesus Christ can you become a child of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truths you have given us, that you are the one who initiated that love, that you are the one who shows us what righteousness is, what love is, what truth is. Lord, we are grateful that you have chosen us to be born into your family, that you call us children of God. And Lord, would you empower us, equip us to truly be that resemblance of you, that we would act like you, talk like you, think like you, believe as you. And you've already provided to us these truths and what we know in that we will be with Jesus and we will be like Jesus We are those who truly have hope. And so in our chaotic world right now, may we continue to look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to grab some communion elements, you can press pause on the video. Um, but I do want to take this opportunity to break bread with the church. And so as we come as children of God, recognizing him to be our Lord and Savior, recognizing that he has promised his return, we want to break out the bread now together, the symbol of his body broken for us. Let's take this together. And as we recognize Christ shedding his blood for us on the cross to cleanse us of our sin, that he is a great savior. Let's drink the cup together. Amen. Amen.